Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Father John Tregilio and his talk, The Eucharist, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Father John Tregilio. A priest friend of mine who teaches at Mount St. Mary's, Father Fred Miller, a very intelligent theologian, said one of the problems of the modern church is meology. It's about me. No, it's about Jesus. It's about him. So one of the advantages of when you're the celebrant and you're looking at the cross, you're reminded, hey, buddy, this isn't the John Tregilio hour. Okay? This is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It's Jesus' sacrifice. You're representing him. That's why the documents say no priest No deacon, no bishop is allowed to add or subtract anything. It's not his mass, it's Christ's mass. It belongs to Jesus and to the church. I don't have no privileges to change things unless it says there I can change things. There's another friend of mine, some of you may know, Father Zulsdorf. He's on the uh, the internet. He has a nice little phrase, okay? It says, do the red, say the black. In the sacramentary, there's red print and there's black print. Okay? The red print are the rubrics. They tell you what to do. The black print is what you say. Stick to the text. All right? Holy Mother Church has been around for a long time. She knows what she's doing. And when the new text comes out, hopefully soon, okay, you're going to see a tremendous, a tremendous rush of reverence because, first of all, it's going to make all of us slow down a little bit. Because the words are just changed enough that you, you can't do it from memory anymore. You're going to have to look at what the words say. So I know a lot of people are getting all anxious. Oh, 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 and with your spirit, we're not used to that. All right? You're not used to it. Big deal. Get used to it. <laughs> you know? When they went from saying, Ecum spirito tuo, and with your spirit, they weren't used to it. Okay? People got used to it. The point is, though, Priest and people, we're all going to be on the same page. That's advantage number one. Two, we're all going to have to slow down a little bit more, so maybe the Mass will be a little bit more prayerful. Okay, No more golfer specials where Father can get him out in 20 minutes because he can say the Mass so fast. Okay, But when you notice when Pope Benedict's saying Mass, everything he does is deliberate. Not melodramatic, Okay, he's not doing this in a way that draws too much attention, but he does it reverently, deliberately, with attention, devotion. Everything, not just certain parts of the Mass. When I was in the seminary, there was this movement in the 80s that began in the 70s to put all the emphasis on the Gospel and the homily. And then everything else kind of sped up. You had had the, the Liturgy of the Word and Liturgy of the Eucharist, but... The emphasis was on make sure you preach a good homily. Woo. But if everything else, you kind of, people knew, they knew the Lord be with you and also with you, lift up your hearts, we lift up to the Lord. They knew the text. So it was like actors doing the 425th uh, production of, of you know, Shakespeare. You, you know the lines. But guess what? The audience out there deserves to hear it as if this was the first time. Those paying customers don't want you to race through because you've done it so many times. They want to hear it as if this was the first time. So too, even in a more profound way, at the Holy Mass, we all need to do this, 
like they said before when we were young priests, I had a retreat. Brother Benedict Rochelle said this was something that he heard from an old-timer, and since he was a fellow old-timer now, he could tell us that every Mass, we should say as if it was his first Mass, his only Mass, his last Mass. Meaning, put your whole self into it every time. Because it may be your last Mass. But even if it's not, the people deserve nothing but the best. They don't deserve a quickie because you have to go somewhere. Okay? Even if the church is burning, better it is to die in the fire at Mass than to be crushed in the parking lot trying to get out. <laughs> what looks better on your obit anyway, right? Killed by being run over by a, a motorist in the parking lot or died while praying at Mass, you know? Do it yourself. But when you look at how the Pope, each part of the Mass, each prayer, the opening prayer, the prayer over the gifts, the Eucharistic prayer, the heart of the Mass, all those words mean something. And even though we've heard them again and again and again, they still mean something. That's why they need to be said prayerfully. So the priest and the people need to pray the Mass so what's going to help us is we got new words, all right, same meaning, but new words, and it's going to make us take a little extra time. Good. Because that will help us. It will also help us if we realize this is an act of divine love. Stay with us, Lord. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you in the Holy Eucharist. But before he can be with us, he must first be sacrificed. He must offer himself up to the Father on our behalf. Without a sacrifice, there's no sacrament. That's why if the priest only consecrates one and not the other, there's no Eucharist. He has to do both. He has to consecrate bread and wine. So you can separately consecrate them so that you have death, but then what is the proclamation of faith? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Okay? Almost instantaneously, once we have death, we also have resurrection. That's why when you go to communion, you're not receiving dead flesh and blood. Thank God. You're receiving the risen body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. You're receiving the risen Lord in Holy Communion. And you want to be united with the risen Lord. And what happens at communion is a foretaste of what will happen in heaven. We will be intimately united with him. So communio is a very important concept. It's prevalent throughout all the documents of the Vatican Council, but also within the Divine Liturgy. Since it is the source and summit of the Christian life, it's the most important thing we do all week long. That's why weekly Mass has to be the most important thing you and I do. Priest or laity. No matter who we are, nothing is more important than when we're at Mass. doesn't mean that's the only thing we do. Obviously, when, when I'm done with saying Mass at, at my parish, i got other things i got to do. You know, bills got to be paid. i got to go to the bank, deposit the collection. i got to go to the post office, buy the stamps. i got to go to the hospital. i got things to do like you have things to do. But the most important thing that's done is at the Holy Mass. Nothing in this world or universe is more important. Because when you're at the Mass you're at the very threshold of heaven. 
That's why in the Byzantine church, they had that wonderful tradition of having the iconostasis, the gates with the icons on, on them. And at one part, they open them up. The doors, the doors. They open up the doors, and you actually are now looking into heaven. Although we're here on earth, we're now glimpsing into heaven. And that's what heaven is. One single, constant, divine liturgy. Scott Hahn said that's how to understand the book of Revelation. It's describing the Mass. Well, that's what, that, that's what goes on in heaven all day long. One big Mass. You might say, boy, that's a long one. Okay? <laughs> Look. Nobody's going like this up there, okay? Because they don't want it to end. Have you ever been to something where you say, oh, I don't want this to end. I wish this could go on forever. That's what goes on in heaven. The worship of God is so perfect, so wonderful, so exciting, so filled with ecstasy and joy that nobody up there wants it to stop, so it doesn't stop. It's only here on earth that Mass is ended, go in peace, Okay? which isn't the real translation. The real translation of ite misa est isn't go, it's over. It's go. The congregation is now sent. You're now set, filled with the Holy Spirit, nourished by the precious body and blood of Christ. You are now sent into the world. You've been fed, and now it's time to go to work. Unfortunately, when you translate it into go, the mass is ended, it's like, oh boy, put my worship in for the week. I'm done. This isn't go home, you're done for the day. It's just beginning. The Holy Eucharist is the fruit of divine love. It's the only begotten Son. The Father loved us so much, He gave us the most precious thing He had, His Son. He sacrificed His Son. And so the Mass reminds us, because it is the same sacrifice. It is the Son offering Himself back to the Father on our behalf. So it is the fruit of divine love, but it's also the heart of divine love because the Son freely, willingly does it out of love for the Father. He knows the Father loves us, so the Son does this out of love. Not only does Jesus love you, but God the Father loves you. And so to show his love for the Father, the Son is willing to die for us because he knows the Father loves us. He does it not only because he loves us, but he knows the Father loves us. And the Eucharist is the object of divine love. That's why all the angels and saints adore the Holy Eucharist. Even in the most remotest part of the world, where it's just a tabernacle, all the angels and saints are present, mystically. Even though you can't see them, they are there adoring the one true God. You know, in the Hebrew religion, they had the Ark of the Covenant, even before Indiana Jones found it, okay? And inside that Ark of the Covenant was the word, the Debarim in Hebrew. The Bar in Hebrew means word. The Debarim are the ten words. The ten words are the ten commandments. Chiseled in stone, given by the very word of God to Moses, they were put in the Ark of the Covenant, and that was placed eventually in the sanctuary of the Temple of Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies. Only one day out of the whole year could the high priest go and stand there in front of the Holy of Holies, look at the tabernacle, and say the sacred name of God. Jesus comes, and in our tabernacle is not tablets of stone. They're not ten words. It's the word made flesh. 
and the veil has been pulled back. There is no longer the veil that separates us. Jesus is now made, he made the sanctuary bigger so that you and I can stand there and worship him. So what, whereas the high priest can only do that once a year, we can do it every time we're in a Catholic church when we show devotion and reverence to Christ in the Eucharist. That's why when you read the documents, they say the tabernacle should be in a conspicuous place, centrally located. When you read the new rubrics from the 2000 Missal, all right, it says, yes, one option is to put it in a chapel, but in a noble, worthy place where you can find him. Okay? Not some closet where you need GPS to figure out where is he. You know, Fulton Sheen used to say in some of these modern churches, he felt like Mary Magdalene, where have they put my Lord? <laughs> but when you read the documents, they were talking primarily about these wonderful Gothic cathedrals and basilicas in Europe where you've got tourists coming in morning, noon, and night. And so to make the place where the Blessed Sacrament was a place of quiet prayer, they said maybe better if you had a chapel of the Blessed Sacrament. Now when you've got this huge basilica that's enormous, of course the chapel's going to be pretty substantial. Okay, That was the intent. You go to New York City, St. Patrick's Cathedral, all right, the tabernacle used to be off to the side. People were walking in and out during Mass all day long, taking pictures, eating sandwiches. It was very disrespectful, so they finally put a chapel behind the main altar. It's called Our Lady's Chapel. The Statue of Mary, the tabernacle's there. But guess what? You can find it very easily. It's in the centrally located part of the church. It's easy to find. And when you go there, it's quiet. But it's large and spacious. Now, I don't know about you, but most of our parishes don't get tourists. Okay, I'm lucky if I get one person for a weekday mass. I don't have tr- buses coming, so I have to say, oh, I better build a chapel because there'll be too many tourists coming in. It'll be distracting for people's prayer. I don't have that problem. And I suspect most of you don't have that either in your parish. So the need, the necessity of having a separate space evaporates. That's why one of the first things my bishop did, he's now been transferred to Fort Wayne, South Bend, Indiana. But when he was Bishop of Harrisburg, first thing he did was have the tabernacle of the cathedral move from the side to the middle. That was the first thing I did when I was pastor of my parish. I moved it from the side to the middle. I figured that's where it belongs. Not one complaint from anyone in the parish. A couple of priests snickered. Oh, you're going to get in trouble now. (laughs) I got in no trouble. Because the documents don't say that. In fact, the documents put that as the first preference now. In the early 70s, the chapel preference was given sort of priority of, of listing. But again, they were talking again about those places where you had so much high volume of traffic of pilgrims and visitors. But in the typical parish setting, where when Mass isn't being celebrated, people are there to pray, they want people to pray in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. So you put the tabernacle where it's conspicuous. And even if it's not in the middle, it has to be in a noble, noble location, easily found. A room that can only accommodate two people, in my estimation, is not noble. It's El Cheapo, okay? If you only fit two people in there, forget about it. And when you go to Europe and you see these fantastic basilicas and shrines and that, even there you see in the chapels that they have the chapel that they have in the Blessed Sacrament is bigger than our churches over here. 
and they're quiet, and they have a nice side, dress modestly. You go to Europe and you see that everywhere, especially in Rome. No shorts, no halter tops, no dressing improperly. It's not the amount of money you spent. It's like the wedding garment. You dress appropriately. And if you don't have it, they'll loan you something on the side. They do it at EWTN. You go to Hansville, you try getting in there with shorts. Mm-mm. There's a nun and a friar on alert, all right? <laughs> if one don't get you, the other one will. And they'll say, we have something here for you to dress, so you can dress modestly. Now, I know, you know people say, well, why don't we go all the way back to the old law, require that women wear the veils and that. You know, that's canon law. That's an option. If people want to wear that or not, that's your thing. That's like if a priest wants to wear his beret or not. Hey, that's your, float your boat, your cup of tea. The church has the right to make things mandatory and to make things optional. Okay? So something that's not either one or the other, you can't force it. It's up to the church. She has the authority. The Pope's the boss. So as long as he's leaving things the way they are, I tell people, if you want to, to wear a chapel veil, wear a chapel veil. If you don't, don't. If I, as a priest, want to wear my cassock and wear my bread, I will. Because I'm allowed. I'm not saying the rest of my confers have to. If they want to wear an owl, but I want to wear a cassock, hey. <laughs> I don't care. The point, isn't, the point isn't getting hung up on these little details, but what's on the inside? What's my interior disposition? Am I here to give reverence to God? Am I here to worship God? Who cares? What, you know, what, is my neighbor you know, in the fourth pew or the fifth pew? Are they wearing a veil or not wearing a veil? Is the priest wearing a beretta or not wearing a beretta? Is his maniple 10 inches long or 12 inches long? You know, We have guys who are all caught up in exactly what kind of vestments they're wearing. Are they Roman vestments? Are they Gothic vestments? This, bobby, babu. Forget about it. If it's allowed, it's allowed, okay? What's more important is, internally, am I giving God the worship that is due to him? Am I here because I love Jesus? If you're not there because you love Jesus, then you need to pray more for divine love. That is the very essence of the Eucharist, divine love. Jesus wants to be with us, but he's willing to sacrifice for us. Are you willing to sacrifice for him? We live in a time, my friends, where not only is suffering a dirty word, but inconvenience now is a dirty word. Everybody wants things convenient. So the phone rings off the hook on Ash Wednesday. Can't you have ashes at 4 in the afternoon? Why do you want 4? Because I get off at work at 3.30. It'd be very convenient for me to get ashes at 4. Well, we have it at 5. That's not convenient, Father. And the point being, but I got people who think because it's not convenient, I need to change my whole mass schedule because it's not convenient for them. I say, excuse me, but could you imagine someone telling Jesus, you know, you can't really die on Good Friday and it's not convenient. How about if we pinch you in next week for Wednesday? No. Friday was a very important day, as was Holy Thursday, Easter Sunday. And so the more of an inconvenience Mass can be at times, whether it's the time of Mass, or maybe it's the person sitting in front of you who's singing off-key, or maybe it's the kid behind you, blood-curdling, screaming in your ear. Maybe it's the choir that's got all flat notes. Maybe it's the preacher who's the most boring person in the world's universe. Put up with it! Because that's not the essence of the Mass. 
The essence of the Mass is what happens on the altar. Now, the Mass is obviously an organic unity, the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. We have to pay attention to what the words of Scripture say because the spoken Word then becomes the Word made flesh. That's why it's important to be there for the whole Mass. I love when people call and say, Father, what time of Mass can I miss for me to still count my Sunday obligation? I said, this isn't going to work at IBM where they're checking your punch card. Ah, you, you, you made the first reading, but you didn't make the epistle, so you get docked 10 points. Or you know, if, if you miss Mass, in most of the places I know, there's another Mass. might mean an inconvenience of you going a little bit later in the day because the, parish, the only parish in town that has the eating Mass might be on the other side of town. But you know what? Every time Apple has a new iPod product, People line up the day before, sit there in their lawn chairs. I'm going to get the first iPad. So they'll sit there for 8, 12 hours in the rain. But God forbid they go on the other side of town because they miss Mass in the morning and they need to go to evening Mass. Oh, that's inconvenient. You know, that's wasting my time. But they'll sit on a lawn chair so they can get the first iPad. (laughs) They're nuts. Completely nuts. Or they get tickets to the, you know, the, 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 big, the game of the year, the Super Bowl, the, the, the um, World Series, their favorite rock star or entertainer. They'll wait hours and hours and hours. No complaints. And when the show's about to end, we want more. We want an encore. You're at Mass, and the pastor gets up to make an announcement. Come on, Father, we've already been here an hour. It's time to go. Excuse me. If you were having heart surgery, do you tell the surgeon, hey, 60 minutes, no more, all right? (laughs) And I'm going to time you, doc. You say, you take as much time as you need, doctor. When it comes to the math, we're stingy. We're stingy with our time. That's because it's a lack of love. When you're in love, you don't count the time. It doesn't exist. You want to be there. You don't want it to end. Unfortunately, it has to end because we're in an imperfect world now. In heaven, where there is no time or space, the mass just goes on and on, but nobody is complaining. They're happy of that fact. Here on earth, we have to make it more heavenly by focusing on what's important. This is worship of God, and the fruit of that worship is divine love that you and I can receive and share with one another. That's the only way you're going to love your neighbor. Because you have to love the Lord your God first with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And the most perfect place to do that is in church at Mass. The problem is we forget it, and then we're in the parking lot, and someone's cutting us off. The host isn't even down your throat yet, all right? It's between here and here. didn't even get to your stomach, and you're tooting a horn and, and flipping the birds to somebody. Come on now. That's why I tell people... Spend a few moments in prayerful thanksgiving. Don't be the first one out of the parking lot. Spend the time in prayerful thanksgiving and thank Jesus for the gift of the Eucharist that you have the privilege of something even the angels. Imagine this. Even the angels don't get as close to God as you and I do at communion time. Jesus gets so close to your soul, you become one with him, we become, because we're, his adopt, we're adopted children of God, we become so part of God's family that the angels could never, ever, ever get that close. Even though ontologically they're more powerful and beautiful and intelligent than we are, we get closer to God than they could ever get. 
That's why the devil hates us so much. We could get closer than he could ever get, even if he had never left the heavens. So he wants to keep you away from that forever and ever. So why do you give him what he wants? By keeping our mass attendance at a minimum or just the convenient. Go to the Byzantine church sometime or the Orthodox where they have two and a half hour divine liturgies. Believe me, I don't, I've been to a number of them. Nobody's there complaining. First of all, the old babushkas would beat you up with their elbows, okay? And these old, I mean, this one little day, I was at one Russian Orthodox church. She stood there for two and a half hours. God bless her. My knees were buckling and that. I'm ready to go. She's getting one of these. <laughs> but God bless her. You know, and nobody, nobody left early. Nobody would dare sneak out. But it's not because they were afraid that a lightning bolt was going to fry them. They loved the, the liturgy so much, they didn't want to leave early. Okay? And as Father mentioned the other day, you know, I, I served at an African-American parish in Erie a few times. The poorest people in town dressed the best. Not the most expensive, but they dressed the best for Mass. They put on their best. Now, the rest of the week, they, they had regular clothes, but they had Sunday clothes. You only wore to church. And they got there a half hour early to practice hymns. They stayed a half hour after Mass to socialize. You go on the other side of town, forget about it. You either get run over by the people coming to, to, to get the Mass late or the ones who are leaving early. So my friends, as we conclude, I want you to please always see the Holy Mass as the very heart and source of our Catholic life. Do whatever you can to make it the most precious thing you do. And if the place where you go, the Mass isn't done perfectly, it ain't done perfectly except in heaven. I was in Rome in January. They made a few mistakes over there too, okay? An altar boy went the wrong way. A cardinal said the wrong thing. It happens. So if you're at a place where there's more mistakes along the way, offer it up, all right? (laughs) Now, if the priest ain't doing what he's supposed to be doing, then you need to either talk to him, report him, or go somewhere else. But if it's just little human things because of our weaknesses, put up with it, offer it up. And remember, why are you there? Because you love Jesus. May God bless us and Mary keep us. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.